HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. The following message has been brought to you by Fairway Market. What's the buzz about honey? Well, those busy little bees are up to something, and it is delicious. The Fairway label honey is superb. Fairway only hires worker bees that are the best at what they do. This makes for a great-tasting, high-quality honey at an amazing value with the Fairway stamp of approval. And on top of being delicious, honey is a great substitute for other sweeteners and can even benefit your health. This includes better energy, respiratory improvements, and balanced blood sugar levels. It's a no-brainer. Get your Fairway Honey today. You're listening to Cutting the Curd, hosted by Ann Saxelby. You're listening to Cutting the Curd, hosted by Ann Saxelby. You're listening to Cutting the Curd, hosted by Ann Saxelby, broadcast live to the Cosmos on the Heritage Radio Network. Welcome to another episode of Cutting the Curd on the Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Ann Saxelby. My co-host is Sophie Schlesinger. And today we are heading to Northern Extremes uh, with our State of Cheese show about Alaska. Yes. Um, so Sophie, uh, did some good research about, uh, Alaskan facts. We're going to go over those real quick before we get on the phone. Um, but we're going to have two guests today. Our first guest is going to be, uh, Matt, uh, Matt Shaw of Cranberry Ridge Farm, um, actually formerly of Wasilla, Alaska, but currently relocated to upstate New York. And our second guest is going to be Bob Gerlach, who is the state veterinarian of Alaska. Um, so, Sophie, what did you dig up? Yeah, well, we were just looking at some some giant vegetable photos, which I think is kind of interesting um, <laughs> because the days there's so much sunlight, which is kind of cool. And but there are only a hundred. It's a hundred day growing season, um, which is really interesting. And we'll get into that later too about how that kind of you know affects um, a dairy farm or, or any farm really. Um, but yeah, the. Basically, the temperature um, summers can reach up into the 90s, and then in the winter it can go, you know, to to below negative uh, 60 degrees. So, wow, pretty pretty wild. I'm from weather. Chicago, but that's like way more extreme than Chicago. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and also the the cost of goods is is much higher, which which makes sense. You know, it's hard to get stuff to Alaska, so that's something else that we'll we'll touch on. 
Um, excellent. Well, if anybody hasn't, uh, or has, I guess if anybody has a spare minute and just wants to see something ridiculous, you should Google image giant vegetables from Alaska because yeah. there are some crazy things. Zucchini, cabbage, the size Pumpkins. of a wheelbarrow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but so uh, let's uh, let's get to talking with Matt. Matt, are you on the line with us? Yes. All right. Thank you so much uh, for being on the show and thanks for being patient while we go through our, yeah. you, you probably know all this stuff like the back of your hand. Yeah, it's um, it's one of those things that what growing up there is you know common. Uh, Ninety pound cabbage is not really all that big a deal for most of us <laughs> up there. <laughs> we yeah, we were really amazed. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of sauerkraut. <laughs> yeah. So um, so uh, you were born in Alaska, or you were you grew up in Alaska? No, I was not. I wasn't born there. We moved there uh, three times, I think. <laughs> Uh, but first time I moved there, I was about two years old. Okay, okay, and uh, and so you started a farm. Uh, you started a farm there called Cranberry Ridge. Um, when did that happen, and how long did you have that farm? Uh, my wife and I started the farm in about '99. That was um, my last move to Alaska. Was uh, when after my wife and I were married um, in '99, we moved up there, and that was at the point where we kind of started. Um, we didn't start producing cheese for about five or six years after that. But um, in Alaska, there's not a lot of goats available, so we had to basically raise a herd, and so it took us a few years. Absolutely. How how long did it take you uh, you guys to do that to raise up a herd that was that was good and milkable? We we were actively kind of buying and culling and breeding probably about four or five years before we actually went into production. Wow. Wow. I feel like that's something that a lot of people don't think about when they think about starting a, a dairy farm that, you know, it takes that long for, you know, you to build your herd and, and you know, uh, go through a couple of kidding cycles and all that kind of thing. Right. Um, and, and you know, the, it, um, Alaska is an interesting place. Obviously, most people kind of understand that, but the, what people don't realize, too, is one thing is, which we have come to realize since we've moved out of there, the average goat in Alaska, the genetics are really, really better than probably anywhere else, just simply because the cost to ship a goat up, because they, um, the borders are closed, the ground borders, to bringing any, um, any ruminant in or out of the state. So they all have to be flown up or shipped by boat, which nobody really ever does. Um, so when people are going to pay to get um, kids flown up, they usually get about the best you can buy. Sure. And, and how did yours arrive? Did yours arrive by boat or by plane? We actually bought from local breeders. Okay. There's, there's several local breeders up there that have really excellent goats, um, and so we bought from them. And could you talk a little bit more just about uh, raising goats in Alaska, what's that like, and, and what are some of the differences, you know, that between raising goats there and, and uh, in the lower 48? Um, water freezing in the wintertime, week after week after week, trying to keep, you know, keep water from freezing um, through the winter. Uh, short growing season, obviously, um, adds challenges, uh, costs. Um, cost of feed, um, 
We actually were able to successfully breed or kid out in in January. Um, sometimes it was seven or eight, ten below zero or colder. We bred a lot, or we brought a lot into the house um, and kept them in the tub or, or made a pen in the corner of the house, <laughs> keep them warm. Yeah. But what we found, though, is something interesting is that... Um, Mostly the goats actually did quite well because it's very dry. Uh, even though it's cold, our humidity is 25, 30%. Mm-hmm. And so the cold was not nearly so bad as, as a wet, rainy cold. And the goats really do well in a dry climate. And what breed did you guys focus on? We, we had all of the five major dairy breeds. Um, we had some of each. The Nubians we found actually did not do quite as well. They were a, they were the ones we had to baby the most. Mm-hmm. Um, they, um, but the the Alpines, the Sonnens, um, Lamachas did excellent. Those were our the three kind of favorite breeds. Um, and, and oh, sorry to uh, well, my my other question was, um, you know, goats are notorious for kind of you know liking to feast on a whole variety of things. Um, did uh, you know what was your what was your land like? And um, I mean, obviously, I'm sure you had to buy in some hay and stuff. But did they did they browse on the on the other things that were around, or was that kind of a difficult thing as well? That's one thing about Alaska that I think a lot of people, at least the part we lived in, would be surprised. It's um, our grass would grow seven feet tall. Wow! Um, it was the undergrowth is is dense. It's almost like a jungle. In fact, I had friends that were living in Africa came over, and they said, man, this, this reminds us of Africa, just the density of growth. Nothing grows very tall, but, but as far as trees and stuff are short. You know, you don't have 100-foot-tall trees. But, so there was a lot of grazing and browsing for them. They did really well. We have a lot of wild roses, um, a lot of uh, berry bushes, things like that. Actually, they did quite well with that. Um, you know, so they enjoyed that. Our our ground was basically virgin timber that we were starting to clear, um, and it was older growth. That um, so the trees were spa- spaced quite a ways apart. So mm-hmm. there was a lot of growth on you know around. But that was that's pretty common in the east here. You know, the forests are pretty open. Not that's not the case there. The, it is it is dense, almost impenetrable. Um, some areas of the forest in Alaska. Wow, wow. And I guess this is sort of backtracking a little bit, but talking about the breeds and the sort of, uh, um, you know, there being good breeds of, or good genetic lines available. Um, if there are local goat breeders, it probably means that there's a business for it. And who else buys dairy goats in Alaska? Do a lot of people keep dairy goats just for home use? Or what's the, yeah, what's the deal there? Alaska, again, is one of those markets where it was a challenge. There's a lot of home, you know, people who, um, who raise their own for milk um, and home. There's a lot of people who would like to go commercial. The challenges are, are difficult. And it's, it's it, from regulatory side as well as, as, you know, population to, you know, Customer base um, is small. Um, land base, there's there's a lot of challenges. But um, 
there's a lot of people who are, I guess, what I would call fanciers, mm-hmm. um, who who are breeders. They do show. They have the money to, you know, as a it's it's a glorified hobby, you know, and then they're trying to have. There is some income, but there's not a lot of of real income. It, it's a break-even kind of deal, I think, in most cases. Um, but like I said, again, there's a lot of people who are interested in raising their own goats, and a lot of people have small herds of really nice goats. And um, just jumping off of that, too, what was it like to make cheese there? You know, How did people respond when you, when you sold them Alaskan-made cheese, and, and how did you market your products? We marketed mostly through um, wholesale, through... Uh, local natural food stores, um, farmer's market. We had one farmer. He's a vegetable farmer that took our cheese to the farmer's market. Mm-hmm. The, the response was incredible. I, you know, that was the one thing that I really miss is the incredible loyalty mm-hmm. to have mm-hmm. a product that was Alaska-grown. Sure, and, people are probably really excited to see and that. And they were, you know, very sad to, to see us leave. Um, but, um, and so that side was not, you know, not a problem. We had a great market. We, a lot of loyalty, a lot of people that were absolutely excited to have a product. And cheese making in Alaska was was nice in that um, it's cooler climate. So um, keeping the cave, the cave, the proper temperature was a little easier. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, managing that the, the the humidity was a challenge because it's so dry there. Mm. It, was, it was a big challenge. That was one of the big challenges um, to keep it humid enough. Um, but what we ran into one of our challenges was the small market, and there just is not a lot of people. And mm-hmm. where would you? I mean, Wasilla is fairly close to Anchorage, isn't it? Yeah, our our market area was. Basically, Anchorage and Wasilla and Palm and the Valley. They call it the Valley Palmer Wasilla. Um, the Valley had about eighty thousand people um, was the population, and then Anchorage is around three hundred, three twenty, something like that, thousand. So, you know, we had a market area of about four hundred thousand. We did do some to Juneau and some to Fairbanks a little bit, but those places were far enough away. And the the market size is small enough there that it was a challenge shipping and, and all that. There wasn't really a big enough market to, to do a lot there. I think there was room for more, but um, but we didn't really break into those markets real strong. So you would, if you had to point out one thing that was the biggest challenge, do you, that would be the one that just the the market size, you know, was I relatively think- small. Right, and and I think that is the one thing that probably of anything that was the hardest thing to overcome. Well, it was the was the kind of ceiling that we hit that there was really because we couldn't market outside the right. the cost of production. You know, we can we can produce it and ship it there from here at half the price that we could produce it there wow. locally. Just about wow, and. Were you the only cheesemakers in Alaska at the time, and do you know of any cheesemakers in Alaska now? No, we, well, we kind of overlapped a couple. One guy, Winsong Farm, they were doing cow cheese, um, a fresh pasteurized, and they left 
about a year and a half before us, they had been basically struggling their whole time. They'd been operating for five years. Um, then somebody, we actually sold our equipment to, they never actually got, well, they were just operating, and they were an older couple, and, and he had some serious health issues, and so they had to shut down before they actually brought a product to market. Um, they may have actually for a few months been bringing, you know, they had actually had a product maybe for a, a few months, but, but they really didn't get off the ground much. There's another um, group, it's a co-op, their cow that they're doing, but they're doing mostly ice cream and fluid milk. They're doing a little bit of, of um, cheese, but not as much as the market is asking for. They're, they're focusing mostly on fluid milk, hmm. which is kind of too bad because from my people I'm talking to, is the, the demand is real strong for the cheese, but the administrative part of it, they, they want to go for the fluid milk. Interesting. Interesting. Uh-huh. Well, they're both equally, you know, they're both important to give people access to. But um, right. the fluid milk market, I would imagine, is even harder because of the perishability, you know, issues involved, too, and, and just trying to get yeah. that turnover right. going right away. And and the margins for fluid milk are very small. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So, well, um, unfortunately, 15 minutes always goes yeah. by way too fast. <laughs> but um, tell us about what you guys are up to now. You're You're here in New York State? Yes, we're um, north of Syracuse, about 45 minutes, um, kind of at the foot of the Tug Hill, and we're in the process of getting up and operating. We are doing uh, a couple pasteurized cheeses right now until we get our um, cave done, and um, then once that's done, then we'll be doing aging some raw milk cheeses, which is really our our, um, primary uh, desire to do. That's what we really like, the best of the raw milk cheeses, aged European-style cheeses. Um, that's what we did in Alaska, and that's what really worked well for us. And if, if people want to follow you and, and learn more um, and, and watch your progress, can they visit you online? Yes, um, we do have a website. It's um, cranberryridgefarm.com. Um, and uh, right now there's still a kind of we're in a transition with that, a lot of Alaska information on there, and we're working on getting um, stuff here. And we're working on getting a blog up as well. Great. To, to get that going. So, and that will be linked the website um, there'll, there'll be a link there fantastic well thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us today and i personally can't wait to start um to taste your cheeses when yeah. uh when things sort of progress and things are more up and running excellent um well thank you so much and uh we will no doubt be in touch soon thank you very much for being on the show thank you bye people live in their lives with you on tv they say they're better than you and he'll agree he says hold my calls from behind those cold big crosses come here boy there ain't nothing for free another doctor's bill a lawyer's bill another cute cheap thrill you know you love him if you put him in your will but Try to bust and try to cuss and 
the cops want someone to bust down on Orleans Avenue. Another day, another dollar, another wall, another towel went up where the homeless had their homes. So we prayed was in a different The following is a public service announcement from Heritage Radio Network. Tune in to Greenhorn Radio, hosted by Severin Von Scharner Fleming, every Thursday at 2 p.m. Greenhorn Radio is radio for young farmers by young farmers. Helmed by acclaimed activist, farmer, and documentarian Severin Fleming, Greenhorn Radio is a weekly phone interview session surveying America's cutting-edge under-40 farmers. Again, that's every Thursday at 2 p.m. on the Heritage Radio Network. And with that, we are back on Cutting the Curd. Uh, today, we are talking the state of cheese in Alaska. Yes, um, yes which is uh, actually our first guest made cheese in Alaska and then actually found a really tough time of it and, and sort of relocated to upstate New York, which can feel like Alaska at times, yeah. but... <laughs> Not quite. Um, well, the second half of our show, I'm so excited. We're going to be talking with uh, Bob Gerlach, who is the state veterinarian of Alaska. Um, are you with us, Bob? I sure am. Thank you. Thank you so much for being yeah. on the show. Um, I I didn't even know that there was a, t- a, a title, state veterinarian. Does that exist in every state? or? Yeah, every state has uh, has their own uh, uh, veterinarian, state veterinarian. Generally, they they operate in the uh, the division of agriculture or the Department of Agriculture. Some operate in uh, in, in different areas. Uh, in Alaska, our uh, our office is located in the Department of Environmental Conservation. Oh, okay. And so, do you, um, as a part of your position, then do you also deal with sort of regulatory issues as they pertain to different agricultural enterprises? No, that's right. Most of the the work we do, uh, our position up here is a, is a little bit different than than the other fifty states. Uh, we we regulate uh, import and export uh, of uh, animals and animal products, uh, just as most uh, state veterinarians do. And we're also responsible for the uh, surveillance of uh, certain animal diseases and uh, trying to uh, investigate uh, morbidity and mortality events or, or disease outbreaks, uh, such as the one that, that's going on now in the lower 48 with the uh, equine uh, herpes virus that's, uh, that's occurred out west. Uh, but what's a little bit different in our state, we also regulate uh, the, the dairy industry and dairy products uh, and uh, the uh, reindeer industry, uh, specifically for, for reindeer slaughter. And, and the last thing that we probably do that's, that's very different from other states is that in, in our office, we actually run the uh, fish monitoring program, which we evaluate uh, the seafood, uh, mostly fin fish and, and some sh- uh, shellfish across the, uh, uh, the state for environmental contaminants. Wow, that's a big job. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it, is a, it is a very big job. We're, I wish we had a, a larger staff, but uh, we do have a, uh, an assistant state veterinarian, and we have a, a research analyst that helps with the, uh, uh, with the fish monitoring program, and we also have a, a dairy sanitarian that does most of the field work for the, for the dairy industry. Wow. Well, can you tell us a little bit about what the dairy industry looks like in Alaska? Um, where are most of the dairy farms located, and what kind of products do they produce? Okay. Well, we've got two major uh, dairy areas, uh, uh, and that's uh, pretty much located around our major farming areas in the state. Uh, the one is up in the interior, 
uh, just south of Fairbanks in, in Delta, uh, and there are two, uh, uh, two uh, ovine dairies there. And then we have uh, in, in one creamery that's located up in, uh, in Delta. And then uh, the other area of the state that we have uh, the, the dairy industry located is in the Matanuska Susitna Valley. And uh, there are uh, three farms that, uh, uh, that are active there and a creamery that is out in the valley as well. Wow, that's and so um, is anybody? We were just talking um, actually on the first part of our show with um, Matt Shaw, who used to operate Cranberry Ridge Farm, who was making goat cheese. Um, do you know of anybody else who is making cheese in the state of Alaska at the moment? Well, there uh, we had Matt was uh, Matt and Rhonda were the the first uh, uh, cheese operators that we had. Uh, they were making goat milk cheese, but the Matanuska Creamery. Uh, in the uh, Mananuska Valley is uh, is also making cheese, uh, and then we had one other uh, goat dairy in the Mananuska Valley that uh, was also producing cheese. Uh, they uh, had, because of some uh, medical reasons, just uh, recently uh, closed uh, closed their business and, and sold off their equipment to uh, some other producers who are getting ready to to start up. Oh, that's that's great. Yeah, and um, Matt was talking about before the break how you know he got his goats which was through a, a breeder in alaska as opposed to having them shipped could you maybe talk a little bit about um you know some of the main concerns for people farming and and how they're getting their animals to their farm and then maybe i don't know the top three issues that that dairy farmers are, are facing in alaska and what makes cheese making so challenging well the the the, the dairy industry both uh, bovine and, and goat dairy uh in, in the state have been facing some incredible challenges, especially with respect uh, uh, since a long time ago uh, or many years ago and uh, when we had the first case of uh, uh, mad cow disease or, or bovine spongiform encephalopathy identified in Canada. And at that time, the USDA closed the <clears throat> Canadian borders, uh, it, which basically cut off our, our main flow of uh, replacement animals for the state. In 2007, they opened up the border um, to allow importation of uh, Canadian cattle uh, back into the state and then opened up the, the transport uh, of animals from the lower 48 up to Canada, or up to Alaska, excuse me, through Canada. Uh, but they still have not opened the, <coughs> the, uh, that transportation route or uh, importation from Canada for sheep and goats, which is extremely limited uh, our, our, our industry up here. So most people, uh, with the sheep and goats anyway, have been either taking their animals to Bellingham, Washington, and, and bringing them up on the ferry during the summer, or flying them up, uh, as uh, which is extremely expensive. We've yeah. been working with the USDA, and hopefully we'll be able to get the, that border open uh, in the, the transit of animals through Canada up here uh, in the next uh, week or so. But that's been extremely restrictive for, for Matt faced that challenge and, and a number of other uh, uh, goat and uh, sheep producers are facing that, that challenge now. Um, <clears throat> the, the other challenges that, that uh, industry faces up here, I think, relate to, to the climate and, and the fact that our, our grazing uh, time periods are, are so short. So right. the, the cost, of, cost of feed is, uh, is uh, a big issue with respect to uh, maintaining a dairy, uh, and the uh, re- the cost of uh, not just hay but uh, also 
concentrated feed is is a is an issue. Hay itself is is probably a challenge because most of the hay that that we have up here is is orchard grass, and and uh, uh, we're unable to to grow alfalfa hay. So that that puts a real restriction on uh, the management of uh, the dairies. Um, but the Matt and uh, his wife were able to go ahead and, and uh, I think manage their 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 farm really pretty well. Uh, but the uh, one of the other challenges that we face are the uh, like I say with the concentrate and, and trying to ship up that uh, that up here is, is also expensive. Uh, there are uh, barley and and, uh, and oats that uh, that are available up here, um, but it, it definitely takes a special. Uh, <coughs> uh, special management uh, style for the farms up here. You really need to be um, well-versed in nutrition and, uh, and try to work with the uh, food sources you have up here to, to make a go of things. Sure. Yeah, well, I was I was actually thinking that I was uh, I was looking back in my you know my history book and um, looking at the American Homestead Act, uh, which you know expired for most of the country in 1976, but was extended in Alaska until 1986, I believe. And uh, you would just think that yeah, it's a very kind of um, rugged and resourceful individual who would farm in in the state of Alaska, um, and people probably. Are somewhat used to having to make do with, uh, um, you know, with what resources they have available because, you know, that that's just what's around. Um, but uh, with dairy, that would be that would be really tricky. I mean, if you think, I guess if you think about it, most uh, Arctic or subarctic climates aren't aren't known for dairy in the first place, just for that very reason. So it's it's kind of a, it's very interesting. Um, but Sophie was mentioning that you guys just did have a sustainable agriculture. Uh, fair or conference, conference yep. in uh, in Fairbanks. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, we we did. We, there's <clears throat> there's a large number of people that are that are interested in uh, in developing uh, the especially the the dairy goat industry with respect to uh, production of cheese. And, and we've got a, a several people that that want to kind of take that step from being uh, Producing cheese just for themselves into a, a commercial uh, a commercial market, <clears throat> and the the SAR conference uh, uh, definitely was was addressing that. We had a, a producer from Washington State come up to to talk to the uh, to the producers here uh, and and give a basic background uh, and and some basic information on on how she took that step. She and her husband took that step from. Uh, into a commercial market and marketing both milk and cheese from from their dairy, um, it was uh, very well attended. I think we had over a hundred. Uh, uh, I think it was between eighty to hundred people that attended the meeting. And part of the uh, part of the presentation was actually a demonstration on uh, uh, on cheese making uh, at uh, one of the afternoons. Wow, that's. So I think the uh, <clears throat> the the one thing that we're we're really trying to do is is help. With some initiatives to to try to support uh, the uh, the producers here with uh, um, a couple initiatives with cooperative extension in the division of agriculture, so that we can work kind of collaboratively together to to support the industry as, as we need to uh, to help them set up a uh, and be better prepared to to meet a, a com- the commercial demands. Because I think there's a big jump from going from producing cheese and, and milk for your family to a commercial market and, and we're trying to help um, help with a, a business handbook so that they can develop a business plan 
do some background research to, to go ahead and see what's needed for their production line as well as the expansion of uh, the herds that they have now to go ahead and, and meet these markets. Especially, yeah, and, and you know, especially with all the regulation that's come down in the especially in the past year uh, with regard to raw milk cheese production, um, in and I think just cheese production on a small scale in general in the United States, it's uh, it's really useful for I think the state to have a collaborative role with people who are trying to make that leap because it's uh, it's just important from uh, from a quality standpoint and also frankly a well a business standpoint and frankly a, a safety standpoint. So. Um, that's great that you guys are, are um, you know, helping people sort of figure out how to make that leap. Um, would you say that there is a lot of um, interest um, from the consumer base as well in Alaska for uh, local and sustainable foods? I, I think there there is. I think Matt uh, and Rhonda uh, kind of were the uh, uh, breaking ground for, for the rest of the people up here trying to develop some market and some interest. And once they had their cheese out there, they, they definitely had a uh, an interest in in uh, and probably had a may have had a hard time supplying the the need uh, uh, the need that was out there uh, through the development more of some uh, local uh, farmers markets. There's there's been uh, an increased interest in in especially farm uh, or artisan cheeses and farmstead cheeses, and so I think that the uh, the markets there, if we can go ahead and and help develop the industry. And I think you you mentioned some really good points with what you were talking about with respect to regulations. We had just <clears throat> uh, last year uh, put forth our our regulations to uh, for cheese production in the state, and uh, we did allow the the production of raw milk cheeses. Um, and and basically that that was one of the uh, the aspects that. Uh, uh, a lot of the smaller producers uh, would would like to follow, and I, I think uh, some people were initially intimidated by the the regulations. And uh, but once I, I think many people understood that they weren't there just to be oppressive, but were there to go ahead and help them assure that they were making uh, a good, safe, but a, also a quality product. And, and most people that are trying to produce cheese are are basically very proud of the product they they produce and, and want to do the best job they can. And uh, so I think once we, we do a little bit more outreach, people were uh, a little bit more uh, comfortable with uh, our regulations, and, and uh, hopefully we'll be able to get more people on the market uh, in the near future. Yeah, we, yeah. we definitely hope so. Um, well, so if people, if people want to find out more about uh, your Sustainable Agriculture Conference uh, or different um, sort of initiatives or things that you guys are doing to help producers, um, do, do you have a website or anything like that that people can visit to get more info? They do have uh, the Sustainable Agriculture uh, website that's uh, open here, and you can Google it. Uh, you can also go ahead and uh, go to our, our state veterinarian uh, uh, webpage or even in uh, there has the contact information for our dairy sanitarian as well as uh, Dr. Fuller and myself. And, and we'd be more than happy to go ahead and, and uh, get information out to, to people or, and answer questions as we can. Great. Well, there's, there's so many resources and it, it sounds pretty hopeful to me. So this is, this is exciting and, uh, and great news. Absolutely. I was the last I was in Alaska in 2003. But um, I hope next time, you know, I find myself up in the state, I can sample some delicious Alaskan cheese. Yeah. 
Well, we're hoping that we can get the, the like I say, the creamery in in the uh, the valley, the dairy creamery has uh, has a large production of different types of cheeses, and uh, we're hoping that we can go ahead and get uh, a couple goat dairies uh, established, and we have one uh, sheep dairy that uh, is looking to be developed out on Kodiak Island. So we're looking forward to some expansion in the near future. Very good. Well, thanks again for for taking the time to talk with us. It's been really, really fascinating. And thank you for all your good work with with cheesemakers and dairy people in in the state. Uh, Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And uh, we'll listen to your show more often. I (laughs) I uh, wasn't aware of it until I I talked to you just uh, last week. So I really appreciate it and and enjoyed the uh, the previous programs I listened to. Excellent. Well, thank you so much. And we'll see you next Monday on Cutting the Curd. Thanks for listening to this program on the Heritage Radio Network. You can find all of our archived programs on heritageradionetwork.com, as well as a schedule of upcoming live shows. You can also podcast all of our programs on iTunes by searching Heritage Radio Network in the iTunes Store. You can find us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter for up-to-date news and information. Thanks for listening. This is Behind the Scenes Food News with Katie Kiefer. This week, I came across a new website from the American Meat Institute and the American Meat Scientists Association. It's called www.meatmythcrushers.com. It is purports to be addressing consumer concerns about additives such as sodium nitrates in your, um, you know, ham and turkey roll and whatever, and animal welfare and food safety. I noticed as I went through the uh, Meat Myth Crushers website, however, that it did not address anything like uh, subtherapeutic uh, antibiotic use in the meat chain. So um, I'm not sure how many myths they intend to crush. But, you know, as I say, always say, it's good to know what the opposition is thinking. And if you want to be fair about any uh, issues around the food scene, it's wise to keep up with their press as well as ours. That's it for Behind the Scenes Food News with Katie Kiefer. Nicole Taylor is always the first to talk with new and exciting personalities in the food world on her show, Hot Grease. Check out a little clip. Everything is super sweet in the Heritage Radio Network studios today. We're chatting with Fanny Gerson. Fanny is a graduate of the Culinary Institute of America and the 2011 James Beard Foundation Cookbook Award nominee. Oh, my God. We fry in bed style. We have to talk dope. Donuts. I'm going to have to say, Fanny, I don't know if you know this. I was definitely the first person in Brooklyn to start talking about it. Did you know that? I, I knew that last time I saw you. Ah. But I didn't know that before. So we have to talk dough. I mean, it, it is it is a bona fide phenomenon in Brooklyn. Uh, I'm so excited to be part of it. I, and I can't believe it. <laughs> you know? I mean, I was just telling you before the show that uh, I think about a month ago, I went to dough on a Sunday at two o'clock and all the donuts. You like what you hear? You can hear Hot Grease every Monday at 3.30 p.m. live on HeritageRadioNetwork.com. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast or check it out in our archives.